in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. Well, folks, good afternoon right now. Very warm out. Just heard the uh, weather forecast. It's 106 on this Tuesday. And you're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. This portion of the program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery. You know what would be interesting would be um, at the Lodge Pub and Eatery, they actually have the outdoor air conditioner. So uh, you could sit out on the deck. It might be a little bit warm, but um, but they are waiting for you. At the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln, located right off of 146, where you can enjoy a delicious drink or a dinner or lunch right now. You could be there if you're riding along and saying, you know what, I wouldn't mind stopping and and having a, a nice lunch right now. Well, stop it and see them at... <clears throat> The Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. So, um, let's see. A short time ago, I wanted to find uh, Nellie Gorbea had a press conference. And I wanted to play some of it. And I was hoping that someone um, ran something on it um i thought someone would buy some something on it perhaps not um that would be fair if someone says no we decided not to do anything on it uh i as i said i i thought that someone might i'm not going to give up just yet let me see if um she was having a press briefing Gorbea to talk about that as as governor she'll do um, a lot more for um, implementing abortion laws in Rhode Island. So nothing there, nothing there. You know, it's not um, it's not a good sign if I have to hunt for it here. You would think the campaign would... All right, so there it is. I see some people. She was at the State House. Um, Quality and Abortion Coverage Act. So she had a small gathering. And... Curious to see if... um, Does anyone have, like, the complete video of it? No? How important was it? Not only that, but not even her own campaign did anything on it. it seems a little odd, right? You would think, don't you want to put that so someone like Juan might decide to run something on it? Um, let's see. I recognize the time. If, the, if she could go so long without actually even she can speak without actually saying anything nope she doesn't have her press briefing up all right well i thought someone might have had it and instead they do not 
So instead, we're going to go to plan B. I, I don't know what to make of the fact that um, President Biden is, is coming to town tomorrow to Somerset. I don't know how excited we were supposed to be about that, but um, they think it's um, they obviously think it's a it's a big deal. I want to play um, Tucker Carlson. I think this is interesting in uh, in Iowa, and he's talking about NPR. I want to um, play a little bit. Of, this is from uh, from the other night shortage and threat of nuclear war with Russia might be something a national news organization would cover, but not at NPR. NPR is always focused on the bigger issues, the ones that matter. Issues so grave we couldn't even invent them if we wanted to because we lack the imagination. This, for example, is an actual segment that aired on NPR last month. Listen. Many people who are queer, whether they are trans or some other form of genderqueer or whatever it is, we love dinosaurs. Along with being a dinosaur expert, Riley is herself transgender. And according to Riley, there is a whole community of genderqueer dinosaur enthusiasts online. We had no idea. So we checked it out. Sure enough, they're there. We found dozens of paleo artists online that identify as queer. Type dinosaur into the LGBT subreddit, hundreds of results with pride dinos, rainbow dinos, dino moms, dino dads, and a lot of puns like allysaurus. Transceratops. Oh, the transceratops. Now, at first we thought we knew where the segment was going to go. Trans dinosaurs. So transgenderism isn't something that appeared out of nowhere. Bigot. It dates back to the Jurassic era. The transceratops. But that's not actually where NPR went with it. Sadly, there would be no David Attenborough documentary on non-binary two-spirit T-Rexes. Instead, the segment turned, as all NPR segments inevitably do, towards self-love and its twin, self-pity. To see, you know, our social enemies, for lack of a better term, taking, you know, these symbols and trying to use it as their dog whistle. It was something where it's just like, wait, where is this even coming from? This makes zero sense. And also dinosaurs are ours. I hate to speak for the entire trans or genderqueer community, but like, no, we've already been wondering about them and drawing them and interested. No matter who you are, if you see something beloved taken over by someone else, that can be hard. Suddenly, genderqueer fans of dinos everywhere felt under attack as TERFs kept dropping the emoji into their feeds. It's also crazy that you might be tempted to dismiss it, but what it really is, is what everything that side believes is, which is a species of narcissism. Dinosaurs are, dinosaurs are ours, they belong to us, says the trans dinosaur expert complaining about, quote, something beloved being taken over by someone else. Now, again, some might call that an example of projection, since when did dinosaurs belong to the trans community? Dinosaurs are everyone. But it makes sense, actually, because it's NPR. By appropriating pterodactyl emojis, the other side is basically killing dinosaurs all over again. That's how much harm they're causing. An extinction. We'll stay on the story, by which we mean we'll keep listening to NPR in the moment the dinosaur lobby has been decolonized we will let you know you know that is um i recognize that's a little inside folks but it's just it's so bizarre and again for those that are just tuning in good afternoon at 114 uh governor mckee has his first campaign commercial up on television he had to pull 
he had to pull the commercial where he had the head of the labors in the commercial, Sabatoni, because he got nailed on a DUI, where they were testing him for both apparently drugs and alcohol, as a matter of fact. Drugs and alcohol, but um, <clears throat> instead he has his mother in the commercial. And I'm going to replay that in just a moment. So, hey, you know what? Good for the governor, uh, Governor McKee. There's, there's no guarantee that he is going to win this primary. If anything, it, it seemingly seems to be going more and more against it. So, therefore, at least, why not? He's able to have his, you know, he got to have his mother in a, in a campaign commercial. You know, this next story, for everyone who's traveling, the problems with losing luggage is very drastic right now. Um, I want you to listen to this uh, it's got a lot piece of on the Today's Show. Just ditching their mm-hmm. check bags and just putting everything in a carry-on. NBC's Tom Costello covers aviation for us. He joins us now from Reagan National. Tom, my gosh, what a mess. Yeah, we've had a rough 24 hours, too. A thousand flights canceled yesterday, 200 so far today. This is the Reagan Airport baggage area where I waited for an hour and a half last week for my baggage. I finally went home without it. I was lucky. It eventually showed up. But a lot of people, yeah, not so lucky. The pictures tell the story, lots of pictures of misplaced luggage piled up in airports around the world. Literally called everywhere, no one can tell me where it is. In Dublin, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, New York, Washington. Y'all, this is insane. One traveler tweeting, I see London, I see Air France, but I don't see my underpants because they're in my suitcase that you left at Paris Charles de Gaulle Airport 11 days ago. So we were planning the dream Scottish wedding. On July 2nd, Katie Herman flew on Aer Lingus from Washington through Dublin to Glasgow for her wedding. Thankfully, she hand-carried her wedding dress. Her checked bag with all her other clothes never made it. I'm getting no updates. It's been over two weeks. The status of my online form has not changed. So I really have no clue where my bag is. The problem, airports and airlines, especially in Europe, don't have the staff to handle the surge in passengers or their bags. The situation so critical in London, Delta Airlines flew a plane loaded with a thousand bags to Detroit. No passengers. Meanwhile, in the U.S., volatile summer weather remains the biggest wild card. My flight to Denver last week had to abort a landing at the last minute due to dangerous wind shear. Forced to divert to Cheyenne, Wyoming with more than and a dozen other planes landing behind us. So the captain on our flight said this was the worst wind shear he has seen in 20 years coming into Denver, and he was literally fighting it as he came up, pulled the nose up, and diverted around Denver, forced to go to Cheyenne because, quite simply, we didn't have enough fuel to go anywhere else. I am truly sorry for all this, but safety is paramount here at United Airlines, and that's, that's what we're going for. After refueling, we were too heavy to take off from Cheyenne, so all of the checked bags had to be bussed to Denver. Uh, the luggage advice from Travel Pros, <laughs> avoid checking bags if you can. Travel with carry-ons. If you do check a bag, drop an Apple key tag or tracker inside so you can follow its whereabouts on your cell phone. Put IDs outside and inside your bag. And take photos of your luggage in case it's lost. 
cost. Wow. Okay, so Tom, just remind us, if the airline does lose your luggage, what do you get in return? If it's a domestic flight, you could get compensation up to $3,800 from the airlines. Again, domestic flight, you'd have to probably prove that your luggage was worth that much, your belongings were worth that much. You'd have to have receipts. They may also reimburse you for toiletries. But you know, the good news is the vast majority of bags eventually do get to their owners. They've got that barcode on them. It just can sometimes take a while, guys. Mm. And uh, Tom, we did mention another reason for all that travel chaos, that nationwide pilot yeah. shortage. Well, after a wave of retirements during the pandemic, yeah. Tomorrow, I think this is interesting, you're looking at the new Flight Academy trying to get some young pilots trained quicker. Yeah, Republic Airways, the second biggest regional airline in the country, says its flight academy for brand new pilots is so good it rivals the military's training. And as a result, it believes it deserves an exemption that its pilots should also be able to start flying commercially just as quickly as military pilots do, not as many hours as are currently required for non-military pilots. So we're going to go inside Republic Airways' new flight training program for new pilots, and we'll ask the question, is their training really that good, guys? Okay. okay. Could be a solution. You know, the, that is a major, and again, folks, good afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. It is a, um, it is, it's a major problem right now with the people that do not want to check bags. So you're going to travel and people just don't want to check bags. All right. I want to play for you. I spoke to him a little bit earlier. But he is one of a kind. He was an advisor within the Trump White House. He was completely mistreated um, in this ridiculous, facing two misdemeanors. And um, it's Peter Navarro. Peter's a brilliant guy. We've had him on the program before. I think the world of him. Um, I want to play. This is my conversation with the one and only Peter Navarro. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. Folks, joining us on the right now right now on the air, we've had him in the past. He has a book. He was an advisor to the president, a man that in some ways almost needs, needs no introduction. It is the one and only Peter Navarro. Peter, it's the John DePietro Show. Welcome back, Peter Navarro. Hi. It's uh, really great to be back with you today. Uh, going in, uh, Rhode Island. Oh, Rhode Island and Mass uh, continue to be blue, but there's always optimism with the uh, the rest of the country. So, Peter, if you don't mind, if you'd like to just, I'd like to start, just get your thoughts on the contempt trial uh, as far as the well, jury can't talk about Bannon. with uh, Steve Bannon that began. Well, that's the one thing you can't talk about. Well, that's the last thing I, uh, <laughs> I can't talk about. All right, so minor mistake by one. may know. Um, I'm facing a um, misdemeanor, <laughs> which carries with it a two-year prison term. I've already been put in leg irons, and uh, my attorneys uh, do not want me discussing other cases. Okay. I'd be happy to talk a little bit about um, the circumstances that led to uh, to my situation. Okay. Which, uh, which are, are, I think, might be interesting. Yeah, no, definitely. Talk about, if you don't mind, Peter, that was so over the top with the leg irons and the way they that you were uh, taken into custody. Well, I think I think that's the correct word, over the top. And you have to um, step back for a minute and, and, and go back to when I was in the White House. I, mean, I served, uh, in fact, I was one of only three 
White House officials who was with the president all the way from the 2016 campaign to the uh, end of what we love to call his first term. Um, and he, I look, humbly, uh, I did uh, save American lives because I was one of the uh, guys in the White House early on who recognized the seriousness of the pandemic and, and um, motivated uh, the White House to take appropriate steps. Um, I worked a lot creating uh, manufacturing jobs. You know, that was my thing, trade manufacturing. And I, I found myself um, when this um, so-called select committee was formed by Nancy Pelosi, um, uh, an obvious partisan witch hunt. Um, uh, when when they began putting out uh, their illegal subpoenas. Um, I was put in a situation where the president, President Trump, invoked what's called executive privilege. And um, as I have said from the outset of this whole process, it's not my privilege to waive. And I, 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 was, I was caught between the dispute between Congress and the White House, essentially. And the law, as I read it, clearly comes down um, on my side in this, in the sense that uh, executive privilege is it goes back to George Washington as something that's critical to effective presidential decision making. And ironically, the Department of Justice itself has over 50 years of policy and more than a dozen memoranda that support the idea that folks like me at the highest levels of the White shouldn't be uh, forced by Congress uh, to come testify before them. So, <laughs> you know, so that's the dispute. Um, it's it's going to be uh, settled now in, um, in a trial uh, down the road. But what was interesting, uh, John, is that this, this is uh, it's a misdemeanor. It doesn't involve any fraud. Nobody's ever accused me of any violence, uh, particularly on Capitol Hill on January 6th. Uh, there's none of that going on. And the way this should have been handled was with what's called voluntary surrender. In other words, they issue the arrest warrant, they call me, and they say, um, here, show up, show up uh, in court, and we'll, we'll get this done, right? Now, instead of doing that, they went, the, the, the token went just, they just went full metal jacket on me. And the irony, John, is I sit here and talk to you, I'm literally looking out the window at the FBI building. My, my the FBI building is literally a field goal uh, away. Wow. I mean, I could, and I was an old field goal kicker in my, in my uh, high school days, and I could literally kick a field goal uh, that's this, this that's how close the FBI building is. And so instead of um, doing, doing a courtesy of calling and say, hey, just voluntary surrender. Um, oh, by the way, we know you're going to Nashville on Friday to do a TV show. Maybe, maybe it's okay to come in on Monday, right? That's kind of what they should have done. Right. <laughs> they let me... They, I eat breakfast, they, I get, get the Uber, I get all the way to the airport, I sit around for an hour, wait to get on the plane. And then when I, you know how people, you, you go in and you give the ticket, you walk in the jetway there yep. between 
uh, the, the gate and, the, and that's where you have five FBI agents armed to the teeth wow. <laughs> go after a, a 72 year old guy who weighs 145 pounds um, and you know it was I mean look um, if you put yourself in my shoes it's like handcuffs uh, they take me back to my home oh except not my home 40 yards away to the FBI <laughs> get fingerprinted and I, I wind up like 20 minutes later in this like dungeon at the courts um, in leg irons in a strip search well, that was kind of wow. fun you know, yeah so the leg irons are kind of interesting I, my, my, I, I joke now that it's, it's like I'm hoping they were at least uh, made with American steel, you know. It's like me being the Buy American guy. Maybe the government bought some made American leg guys. But, yeah, they, they're like strips. They strip searched me. That was fun. You know, wow. And then they put these leg irons on. The funny part was, like, the, the, the guard, he was like a third my age. Nice guy. But he's, like, walking down the hall to the cell, right, expecting me to follow at his pace and you, you, you can you know you can't you have no stride when your leg irons you kind of like clunk along like how you go with it <laughs> and they stick me in a cell um they're, and they're proud of this somehow oh John Hinckley was there when you shot President Reagan okay great it's like okay Navarro the guy in the White House saved lives created jobs and wow the for the Constitution is in the same cell as now, I would be remiss at this point not mentioning uh, DefendPeter.com. DefendPeter.com. That's my uh, legal defense fund. Great. And if your listeners uh, would, would be moved by any of this, just check it out. Uh, just small donations. But the punchline here is that, John, I've already had uh, costs over $400,000. Oh, so far. God. This is like a million dollar for a misdemeanor, mind you. Oh, wow. It's a misdemeanor that comes with a two year prison sentence, I might add. Um, so you know, this is where this is where things stand and, and what's interesting is that the only the only two people going to trial for this, um, are the two China Hawks from the White House. Right. Which, which I find interesting. That's well, right. you guys like Ben and I are the only two guys um, that ever got sanctioned by the Chinese Communist Party. They, they did it like four minutes into Biden swearing in. And we're also the only two guys that are threatened with prison terms from the U.S. Congress. So, you know, like strange bedfellows. <laughs> and, and Peter, you wrote... And I'm not sure this is a coincidence. You, well, and you wrote the book, and again, folks, speak with Peter Navarro, you wrote the book, Death by China. So that's not... I mean, people way, can... Way back when. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and Peter... And by, now, wait, one other thing, speaking of the books, just so folks can is if you go to PeterNavarro.com, you can see all this, but... but uh, Taking Back Trump's America yes. is, is the new book I've written. It's available on Amazon, Taking Back Trump's America. And the reason, John, why it's important is that we're, we're now in a collapsing economy. Uh, I am the poster child for a two-tier system of justice 
where violent felons and Antifa people roam free while former White House advisors get uh, arrested and put in leg irons. And the Taking Back Trump's America book really is uh, the blueprint and battle cry to do two things. First, we've got to take back the Congress, the House of Representatives, from the Pelosiites. These people are out of control. Even as they weaponize investigatory powers of Congress in an unconstitutional way, they are, by the way, destroying our economy. We've got to get them out of there. And then in 2024, we've got to get... Trumpism back in the White House. Just It just has to happen. Because I can tell you, I was there for four years. The policies we adopted created the best economy in modern history. And Biden and Pelosi and AOC and Schumer and Lion Adam Schiff and little Jamie Ratkin, all of those scumbags, and they are scumbags, have destroyed the U.S. economy, they're framed the democracy and political system, and they're high and mighty about it all. Yeah. So let's, you know, throw these rascals out. Folks, again, he is the one and only Peter Navarro. Peter, great to talk to you. I'm so sorry uh, that you had to go through that, but justice will prevail. You have a lot of fans out there. You also, by the way, you do a great job on Newsmax. Keep up the good work. Keep swinging, and uh, everyone's behind you, and we'll talk to you again. All right, my brother. You take care of yourself. Enjoy this uh, this summer. Get down to Newport and sail and do something like that. (laughs) Thanks, Peter. Folks, there it is. The great Peter Navarro. He is, um, without question, just one of the the good guys. Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. It is AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Right now, it's 132 on this very warm Tuesday. I have a feeling... um, well, the weather in this heat wave is um, is seemingly going to, I, I think it's going to kind of dominate um, the, the news cycle around here for the, for the next couple of days. And good reason. Um, this is the first stretch. This certainly looks like it has all the makings. If, if the temperatures exceed 90 degrees three days in a row, you get a heat wave. And um, and we we have the potential for that. Um, and right now, it feels like it's ninety three degrees. And tomorrow is going to be even warmer. So not that bad, not that not that bad at all. Um, I also want to remind you folks: visit the website to petro dot 